And if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 3. We are just singing in that song about uh, the longing to have the Holy Spirit work in us, among us. Um, the longing to see the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives, in our own hearts, in the way that He changes us and transforms us. The longing to see Him change us as it, He moves us to worship, to fall on our knees and worship Him as He, as he helps us to see who God is. Um, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. We're going to be looking at, uh, in, in the messages, we're going to be doing a, a four-week series on the Holy Spirit. Last week, one of the points was about waiting on the Holy Spirit, learning to depend on the Holy Spirit more as we live our day-to-day lives. And so that's what we want to do as we, as we head into the fall. I think as a church, as a community, we need to be learning what it means to live lives in light of the truth of the Holy Spirit and His presence in us. That is what God has promised to give his, his children, is to give us His Spirit to work. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at some different passages that teach us about the, the role of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, what, he, what we should expect Him to do and to be in our lives. So um, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 3. This is a, a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. He wrote several letters to the, to the church in Corinth, and uh, this letter was written in response to, he, he had actually corrected them about some things that were going wrong, some problems in the church, and now he had heard that they'd responded positively in a lot of ways, that they'd repented, and so he, he writes this letter to encourage them among other things. But this passage that we're going to look at right now is he's kind of um, talking about his ministry and he's defending his ministry, which he's often having to do. Um, and he talks about the, the, the characteristics and the mark of his ministry, uh, the ministry of the new covenant. And we'll talk about that a little bit, what that means, but particularly about the presence of the Spirit, and God's power in his ministry. So listen to, God, listen to God's word as I read from 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 18. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
Let's pray together. Father, this passage uh, is not an easy one to understand, and uh, it might not be real familiar to us. Father, we pray um, that, uh, that your spirit would open our eyes to see what you want us to see here. That your spirit would open our hearts to receive what you want to teach us. Father, we pray that your spirit would, would work to help us to see your glory this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you can envision it, there's a family rushing around inside their home trying to get ready to go to the airport. It's early in the morning. They're, they're rushing around. They're trying not to forget anything, and they're late, so they don't want to be late for the plane, right? And so, so the kids are, like, fighting with each other. The, the mom's, like, yelling at the, at the kids for, for all the different reasons. They finally, like, rush out to the car. They, they put the, the luggage in the car. They slam the doors, and they take off go to the airport. They squeal out of the driveway and they head out to the airport. They finally get to the airport. They check in. They get on the plane and they're airborne when the mom suddenly realizes, Kevin! <laughs> you remember that movie, Home Alone? <laughs> they left Kevin at home. They forgot him. I mean, it's kind of absurd to think that a family could actually get in the car and drive to the airport and get on a plane without realizing that they're missing one of their young children, right? Um, but this was in the days before all the security checks, and you know, so yeah, maybe, I don't know. But I know that I can identify with them to a certain extent. I mean, most parents probably can identify to a certain extent the panic, the guilt, that they would feel because, let's face it, most parents have probably forgotten their kid in some way or some shape or some form. Even if it's, you know, walking down the aisle at the grocery store and being like, oh, whoa, where'd they go, you know? I know, I'm not going to name names, but I know that some kids have been left at Hope Church on a Sunday before. <laughs> most parents have forgotten their kid at some point and been like, oh! I think many of us as Christians, are in danger of getting to the end of our lives, or getting down the road someplace, and all of a sudden being like, the Holy Spirit! The Holy Spirit! I've been living my life completely oblivious to the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I've forgotten him. I've left him behind. I think many of us are in danger of that. Um, God has said that for those who trust in Jesus, he, he gives them this incredible gift of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to, do, to dwell in us and to, be, and, and to be a presence in our lives, to make our lives radically different. And yet so many of us are living our lives as if he's not even there. Just leaving him behind. Let me put it this way. This passage talks a lot about an, an old covenant and a new covenant. It might be a little confusing, um, but when he talks about the Old Covenant, it basically, uh, let me try to explain it this way. I don't know if this is good or not, but I'm, I'm going to try. Um, throughout history, God has, the way that God has related to his people and revealed himself to his people and, 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 and worked in his relationship with his people has, has changed over time. The basis of that relationship has not changed, okay? Ever since people have fallen, ever since we have sinned against God, the only basis by which anyone, whether they're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, can come into a relationship with God is by him showing us his grace 
and us trusting in him. That's it. But the way that he's revealed himself to us and, 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 and uh, the way he wants us to relate to him has changed somewhat over time. So in the Old Testament, one of the big aspects of that relationship was uh, the, the law that God gave to Moses. After Moses brought the people, after God brought the people and Moses led the people out of Egypt, he went up on top of Mount Sinai and God met with Moses there. And he wrote his Ten Commandments on tablets of stone and, and Moses brought those commandments down. And this was how God wanted to reveal himself to the people at the time through, through these laws that he gave them. Okay? And that's what it's talking about. The, the old covenant is that God's relationship with people, yes, it's based on the, his grace as he rescues them, not through any work of their own, but then he gives them these laws to, to help them know what God cares about, to, to let them know who God is, and also to give them some guidelines as to how to relate to him. Okay? But even in the Old Testament, he makes promises about the fact that this is going to change in the Old Testament, we even read about that in the call to worship and the, the promise in Ezekiel that God was, was going to, the, that the, just these laws weren't quite good enough. He's going to actually give us his spirit to write those laws in our hearts. And in Jeremiah 31, he talks about a new covenant that's gonna, that he's going um, to usher in um, in the future. And so there's this new covenant now that involves the spirit of God. And, and it's, it's the way that God wants us to relate to him. And th- the problem is, I think that a lot of us are um, living as if we only have the old covenant, where we're, we're interacting with God based solely on rules and laws rather than on the presence of the Spirit. And yet in this passage, he says over and over again, the work of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit is so much greater, so much better than just interacting with God based on rules and laws. It's so much greater. It's so much more glorious. He says that over and over again. Um, I'll try to explain it this way. When I, when I was a kid, I used to love playing video games. I used to love playing video games. I remember our first video game that my family had was Pong. Did anybody else have Pong? It was just the little dials, right, and the lines that you could move up and down and, and the little dot. Some of the kids have no clue what I'm talking about. The little <laughs> dot, you would just like bounce back and forth and you'd have to you know, move the line up and down. Um, that was fun. I enjoyed that. That was pretty cool. I enjoyed playing Pong when I was little. Now I watch my kids play video games, and sometimes I'll play them as well, and it's, it's insane how much advanced it is, how much more advanced video games are now than back then. You know, when, when my kids play, uh, lately they've been playing uh, basketball, NBA 2K17, which is like a, you, you can play like a professional basketball player in the NBA, and it's, it's amazing just the graphics and the, the choices of what you can do and everything on there. If you compare that to Pong, you know, if you gave somebody the choice of playing Pong or playing that, I'm sure there would be a couple of us in here who would be like, kind of be nostalgic to play Pong for about 30 seconds. <laughs> but of course, you're going to choose this newer one that's got a much more advanced, robust operating system than Pong had, right? And so in a sense, the operating system of our relationship with God has advanced now with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yet so many of us are content to live our lives playing Paul. To live our lives based solely on this is what God ta- tells me I, I'm supposed to do and I, I need to live my life try, trying to do my best, trying to, trying to obey as much as I can and, and trying to you know, think about just what, what, sh- what I should do. You know, we have this vision of what a Christian looks like and I just like, I need to act like that. I need to be like that by obeying the rules. And that's how we're living and yet God wants us to experience so much more. 
with the gift of the Spirit. And so this morning, briefly, I want to talk about three things that this passage teaches us about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, what we, what we need to expect the Holy Spirit to do, what we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to do in our lives. So first of all, the Holy Spirit enables us to see. The Holy Spirit enables us to see. One of the things that's repeated kind of several times in this passage is this idea of a veil, right? Did you guys notice that? There's this concept, like talking several times about this veil. What is he talking about, this veil that covers Moses' face? Well, back when God gave the law to Moses back in Exodus, what happened was Moses went up the mountain and, and somehow Moses was in God's presence in a way that nobody else was or had been or could be. And Moses and God gave Moses these laws. And when he came down from the mountain, somehow by being in the presence of God and the, the presence of God's glory, Moses had a, like kind of like a, a glory burn on his face. His, his face was like glowing. It was lit up in a way that, that when people looked at, at Moses' face, they could tell that this was a re- reflection of God's, of the, the fact that he'd been in God's presence, of the, of the glory of God. And so his face was like shining in some way. And so I'm not exactly, it's tough to figure out why exactly did he have to put this veil over his face? Was it because the people were distracted by this? Because they, 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 they like didn't want, they didn't want to see it? Um, it scared them, maybe? I don't know. Or is it because some, in this passage, it kind of sounds like maybe as Moses comes down, as he spends more time down from the mountain, the, 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 the glowing effect kind of fades away. It comes to an end. And so is Moses trying to kind of keep the people from seeing that it's diminishing? I'm not sure. But as you continue to read in the passage, he shifts the idea of this veil from being over Moses' face that keeps the people from seeing Moses' face, which is a representation, just a little glimpse of God's glory, to then talking about a veil being over the people's hearts, right? It says in verse 14, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, when they read the laws, when they're focused on these laws of of Moses, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it it taken away. Um, There's this kind of idea that there's a veil over our hearts that prevents us from seeing the glory of God, from seeing God and who he is in all his glory. You know, this veil that covered Moses' face that was a glimpse of God's glory, it prevented the people from seeing God's glory. There's this veil that blocks us from seeing who God really is. There's a veil that blocks us from seeing how powerful he is how glorious he is, how merciful he is, how just he is. There's a veil that blocks us. As you read through the Bible, you you realize that that what the real problem is is our sin. Our sin is what keeps us from seeing rightly, from seeing God's glory rightly, from being, you know, allowed to see God's glory rightly. So we have this veil that blocks us. And what is it that can take this veil away? What is it that can help us now to see the glory of God? It is the Spirit. In verse 16, he says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The only way that we can see God in all of his glory, even to begin to see some of the glory of God, is by the power of the Spirit working in us to take away this veil. The only way, as we live our daily lives, that we can see things with the right perspective, that we can see even, you know, it's, it's so tempting to, it's so hard to believe as we think about, you know, th- these people, what they're going through down in Florida and, and in western United States, all, all these catastrophes going on. It's, it's, 
it's impossible for us to see that God is sovereign and that he is good apart from the Holy Spirit taking the veil away from our hearts. It's impossible as we live our lives and we deal with, with and we struggle with, with things that discourage us, with, with things that are going on in our families and, and, and to believe that God really loves us and that God's really going to lead us and take care of us. It's impossible for us to see those truths apart from the Holy Spirit taking the veil away. And, and it also says that the Holy Spirit here is working tightly, intimately with the work of Jesus, right? Because in, in verse 14, the one that I already read, it says, because only through Christ is it taken away. We have this kind of identification between Jesus and his work and the Holy Spirit and his work. They're working together in order to remove this, this thing that blocks us from seeing God, from seeing his glory. As I said before, this thing that blocks us ultimately, it's our sin. It's our sin that veils our hearts, that keeps us from seeing who God is. And that is why Jesus came. That is why the Holy Spirit has to work tightly in connection with the work of Jesus to help us to see God is because it's only through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for us to pay for our sin that our sin is dealt with, that we are forgiven, and that our sin is no longer in the way. And it's the Holy Spirit. One of the things that you see, the work of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he's continually shining light on the work of Jesus. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does. He, he can open our eyes to see what Jesus has done for us to show us the love of God and the power of God and the fact that he has dealt with our sin. He's dealt with the thing that blocks us from him. And he also opens up our eyes to see that God is just and that he is loving and that he is good when it's hard to see those things in our daily lives. And so why is this important? Because, I mean, this is the problem. We, we can't control the spirit, right? We, can't, we don't just carry the spirit around in, in a little kind of like genie bottle and you know, rub it and be like, spirit, I need you to open my eyes now. But, but I think what we need to do is we need to get in the habit of realizing that we cannot see rightly apart from the Holy Spirit. We need to be, get in the habit of begging the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what's going on in our lives, to what's going on in this world. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be begging the Holy Spirit on a regular basis to open our eyes to what he wants to see what he is doing in our lives, in our family's lives, in our friends' lives, to open our eyes to what he wants us to see and do, to how he's working. We need to be in the habit of begging him to, to take the veil away that normally obstructs our vision of who he is, of the truth of who he is and what he's doing. So the Holy Spirit enables us to see. The Holy Spirit also sets us free. We're rhyming this morning. The Holy Spirit also sets us free um, in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That sounds like a good thing, right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Nobody's going to argue with freedom. Everybody loves freedom. Everybody longs for freedom. We want freedom. Freedom is good. Nobody's going to say, nah, that's, that's not a good thing. Freedom is good. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The question is, what does the Spirit set us free from? How does the work of the Spirit set us free? That's what we need to figure out. Um, as you're looking at this passage, he's comparing a life lived in, in response to the work of the Spirit to a life that's lived only in response to the commands of God. Remember, he's comparing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant throughout this passage. The Old Covenant, which consists of, of these laws that God wrote down. right? 
and, and, the, and the new life of the spirit that God has given us, his spirit with the coming of Jesus and the work of Jesus to pay for our sin. And so the thing is, what characterizes the old life, life lived according to the laws, life lived you know, just trying to obey laws? Well, he says in, uh, in verse 6, he talks about how the letter, the laws, kill. The letter kills, but what? The spirit gives life. He talks about in verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the old covenant, the, the laws, only that, those only bring condemnation. But the life of the Spirit brings righteousness. I think what, what he's pointing to is that when you live your life based on law and based on rules, based on trying to live my life the way that I know I should live it, where does that bring us? It brings us into a prison of guilt, of shame, of discouragement. If I live my life just like trying to be like, I, I know I need to be a better person, I'm just going to try really hard to, to, to be kind today to these people that are so hard to be kind to. I'm going to try really hard. If I just live my life doing that, I'm always going to fail. Every single time, I'm going to fail. And if I'm really paying attention, or else I'm going to lower his standards. <laughs> but if I don't lower his standards and I, and I keep them where they're supposed to be, I'm going to fail. And it's just going to be depressing because trying to, to live my life in relationship to God, to think about the fact that, to think that God loves me based on how well I do, how well I perform, how many right things I do, how much I obey, that brings me to a place of condemnation. If I'm just going to live my life before God based on how well I do, the only thing that that's going to do is going to say, you're guilty. You're guilty. You cannot do it. And so this, the, the Spirit comes in. And what the Spirit does is, is set us free from having to live our lives basing our value and our significance and our understanding of God's love for us on how well we do, on how much we obey, on how well we're keeping His commandments. See, the, the, this is the problem. A lot of us, we, we focus on the Ten Commandments maybe, but a lot of us also add a bunch of other rules to that for ourselves. Or we, or we have other people add a bunch of other rules to that for us. We have these expectations we place on ourselves. We have these expectations others put on us. And many of us try to live our lives measuring up to these expectations. And it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting to try to live my life to meet my own expectations, let alone God's. But knowing that the Spirit of God is working in me to change me, to set me free from having to live like that. That's a life of freedom. To not have to live a life of exhaust, an exhausting life of trying to measure up, to be good, to try my best. All right, so does that mean that it doesn't matter how we live? Does that mean that, it, that it's okay to just not be good? <laughs> does that mean it's okay for me to just be a jerk to everybody? I know we'd like to think that, maybe, but that's not what real freedom is. He sets us free from the guilt and the condemnation and the death that trying to live our lives justifying ourselves by obeying laws, but he sets us free so that we can live differently. He sets us free so that we can live differently. The Holy Spirit transforms us into who we were made to be. That's the third thing that the Holy Spirit does. Verse 18 is one of my favorite verses in the years that I've known Jesus and been walking with him, and uh, I'm just going to read it again for you. Verse 18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. We're being transformed more and more to be in the image of the Lord, in the image of Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus. What is the key to change? I I I would guess that every single person in here realizes that you need to change in some way. Every single one of us, I would hope, is aware of the fact that we need to change. If you're married, you you definitely are aware of the fact that you need to change. Your spouse probably makes you aware of it on a daily basis. But even if not, if you have friends that you actually have real relationships with, they remind you of your need to change. But, you know, every single one of us realizes we need to change. The question is how? How do we change? How do we grow to be the people that God made us to be? What is the path to doing that? And I think the temptation for us is to write down, okay, these are, you know, these are the, all the things, make a list of all the ways that I need to change. This is the ways that I need to try to improve myself. And then to take them, you know, maybe for some of us we could take a few at a time. For some of us we have to just focus on one. And I'm gonna, okay, this one I'm going to try really hard today to be more patient. I'm going to try really hard today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, maybe I'll put a sticky note up on, you know, all over the place in my, in my cubicle at work or whatever. You know, be more patient. I'm going to try to be more thoughtful and kind. I'm just going to really try really hard to do this. And th- that's the temptation for us. Make a list. This is how I need to change, and then just get at it. Just work hard and make promises. Make resolutions. This is how I'm going to be different. But this verse says this is not how we change at all. How does this verse say we need to change? The, the, the way, the path towards change is what? Is looking at the glory of the Lord. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. The way that we are transformed, the way that we're changed, is by looking at the glory of God, by looking at the glory of Jesus, by looking at him, by gazing upon him, by soaking him in. That is ultimately the only path to real and lasting and significant change in your life. It's by looking at Jesus by beholding him. That is the only way that we're going to change. I mean, we can make a list and we can try really hard, but we're we're not going to get anywhere. This is the crazy thing. The best path to to actually becoming a a person that we know we need to be, being, being more patient, being more loving, being more kind, isn't actually focusing on those things primarily. It's focusing on Jesus. It's looking at him looking at all of God's glory displayed in Jesus, in the life that he lived, in the death that he died for me, and in his resurrection. That is how we are changed. And, and where does this change come from? At the very end of that verse, it says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that works in us as we gaze upon God, as we gaze upon the glory of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that works the change in us. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to see Jesus clearly. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us as we look at Jesus. The way to transformation, another way to put this, is the way to transformation is worship. It's what we are doing right now as we gather together on on Sunday mornings. This is why this is so important. I know for for some of us, this is kind of an optional exercise for us. You know, if, if we're out late Saturday night, I'm just too tired to get there. You know, if I have other things going on, 
it's going to be too busy of a day. It's just, I, I got it, you know. You guys, I cannot stress how important this is for us to be here together and to look, to behold the glory of God. To sing these songs where, where God's truth, is, we're reminded of who God is. As we read scripture, we're reminded of who God is. And we have an opportunity to gaze upon him, to behold him. This, when we come to church on Sunday morning, we're, we're actually putting ourselves in a position for the Holy Spirit to, to, to change us, to shape us, to transform us. And this is why it's also so important every day of your life to make, to make worship an important part of your life. To make taking time every day to look at Jesus, whether it's in scripture or just spending time in prayer, to remind yourself to look at Jesus and who he is and what he has done and to worship him for that. That is what will change you in the way that you interact with the people that you work with, in the way that you love your spouse or your kids, in the way that you love your friends. That is what will change you in your ability to be content in the midst of all the different things that you long for. That is what will transform you and change you. It's worship, and we need to make a priority of worshiping God because it's through worship that the Spirit works on our hearts to change us. And so as we hope to be a community where the presence of God is seen and experienced, because that's what I'm hoping that we will grow to become, that we are growing to become, that we are becoming a people where as people walk in here, they almost themselves are like, I don't know, it's hard to look. It's hard to look because they see evidence of the glory of God around here. The path towards the glory, experiencing the glory of God displayed in our lives, displayed in our relationships, it's the Holy Spirit as we worship Jesus, as we depend on him to open our eyes to who God is and what he is doing today as we celebrate, as we live lives that are distinct, free. That is how we will be transformed into a community where, a community where God's glory is seen and experienced and that spreads out. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. We pray that your spirit would work that you would work to, to open our eyes, to help us to see the beauty, the glory of Jesus, to help us to see the glory of the gospel and how that sets us free, to live lives where we are not condemned or, or, or guilty or full of shame, to live lives of joy, set us free, Holy Spirit, and make us into the people you call us to be. We pray that you would help us, particularly now, as we prepare to go to the Lord's table to to fix our eyes, to behold the glory of Jesus on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name.